This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. It is contagious. It is the place to be, and we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome to the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Rosero, from you here on this Monday evening. And joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? JR, how are you? Hello, PTB Wrestling Network. Welcome to episode 614 of the longest-running episodic of the fucking gold standard. Uh, we, uh, we have Halloween, sir, in the... Uh, or October, I guess, in the rearview mirror, and... Uh, we are looking ahead to next to mid-July. Probably yours are my favorite time of the year. We always have a lot of fun uh, these uh, couple months. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Next six weeks or so is always a hoot and a holler. And then, of course, into Christmas. And, of course, yes. the Christmas music is fired up on Sirius and other radio stations. So that means here on the podcast, firing up some Christmas tunes as well. Yes. So you should do it this time of year. Uh, we were mm-hmm. last with you uh, last week. And we talked uh, a little Halloween then. We had a Halloween special, spectacular. So hopefully mm-hmm. everyone enjoyed a little veering off of the timeline. Talked some sitcoms mm-hmm. with two of our OG friends, Mr. Duncan and Mr. Willie. It was a good time as always. Yes, it was. Absolutely. And tonight we head back to our timeline. We last left you a month ago uh, with SummerSlam. Uh, so it was a, a good show to talk about. We'll see if they can carry mm-hmm. the momentum, dirty that is, with Unforgiven tonight. And to do that, we're going to have a very uh, special... I do mean special new guest with us. <laughs> uh, he's he's been on a couple uh, things here and there on the Place to Be podcast, but never done a vintage vault with us. So so we'll see how this journey goes. He is uh, well, you know him. If you know this, you know him. It's Mr. James Groomberg. Groony, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, JT, you know I have a question for you. Okay. Is it is it um is it more spooky that I'm here doing a podcast or that you allowed me to be on the show? It's spooky that I even know who you are, Gurney. That's what makes it the spookiest. Well, it is a it is a fifty fifty vote, Gurney, and I voted no, but I was. No, no, it's tie goes to the runner. The the crazy thing, the craziest and spookiest thing of all, Gurney, is that uh, this coming April will be ten years since we met in person for the first time, the three of us. So that's that's the spookiest, honestly. That is true. Oh, wrong. I still so. have your I still have your video from the parking lot. 
Still what a it. wonderful 10 years it's been. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? It is the wildest, buddy. Yes. All right. So what also is wild is uh, the history of pro wrestling. And we're going to head right back now to September of 1994, Mr. Criscolo. What was going on in this very night in the world of pro wrestling? In this very night. Well, on this date, September 7th, uh, 1994, WWF actually was off. They did not have a show in this night. So WWF was in between. Of course, they were, uh, you know, what, about a week out of SummerSlam in Chicago. And, of course, their mm-hmm. next pay-per-view was until uh, San Antonio, hmm. uh, of course, in November for Survivor Series. So they were the in-between. Um, WCW, however, was uh, in Europe. Usually this is the loop WWF does in, what, late March, early April, right after Mania. Uh, WCW does it in the fall. So on this night, September 7th, 1994, 7,700 jammed uh, Bad Segberg, Germany, wherever that is. And that is where WCW was in this evening. Here's your card. Uh, Jim Duggan defeated Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> Probably never happen again. Uh, Brian Pillman defeated uh, your television champion, Lord Steven Regal, in a non-title match. Sting defeated Steve Austin. The Nasty Boys defeated uh, Kevin and Dave Sullivan. Uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot defeated your uh, world tag team champions. Pretty wonderful in a non-title match. Vader defeated the Guardian Angel, and in the main event, your world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, defeated Ric Flair with the leg drop. So that was your uh, card in Bad Siegberg, Germany, on this date, September 7th, 1994, and there was no, uh, WWF had no card on this night. So there you go, for the house shows on this evening, uh, JR, why don't we fire up a little herb and see what's going on? All right, Grudy. Hope you're excited for some Herb Coons here. We got three edition of the notes for you. you. Excited? Oh, yeah. All right. Looking back. All right. August 25th, 1994. Clash of the Champions 28 took place last night due to the baseball strike. The show was bumped from original length of two hours to two and a half, and it showed. They added a lot of commercial breaks, filling things out, but when a show's on free TV, it's all fair game. Leading up to the show, Ric Flair said he had an ultimate surprise for Hulk Hogan. There was a lot of speculation that the reappearance of the Ultimate Warrior would be occurring. And there was always talk, of course, of Kurt Hennig coming to WCW as well. Larry Zbysko even said he knew Flair had a perfect surprise. Thank goodness no one mentioned a vicious surprise. Gary, Will, Curtis, and I got together for the show. We expect commercials and live show, so it didn't bother us too much. The key angle of the night saw a masked man come out and hit Hogan's knee from behind, a la Nancy Kerrigan. The show was filled with flash updates before Hogan returned from the hospital to the arena. Hogan did a great job selling his knee, far better than I would ever expect of him, including delivering the high kick, part of his signature finishing sequence, but tumbling to the ground when his knee gave out and hitting the leg drop or hurting himself on that move, too. Star ratings for the night. Nasty Boys beat Paul Andor from Paul Roma, two stars. Steamboat over Steve Austin, four stars. Dusty and Dustin Rhodes over Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck, two and a half. Antonio Inoki over Steve Regal, one star. And Flair over Hogan, two and three quarters. Despite the strong angle and commercial interruptions, there's a 20-minute excellent match to keep the show on the good side of a thumbs up, thumbs down. It was annoying that Hogan wouldn't put Flair over, but nobody here should have expected that. Who was, especially since Hogan needs to be the world champion for Europe. Who was a mysterious masked man? It doesn't matter. But that, I mean, it doesn't matter who it actually was. It looked like Kurt Henning the first time. Seemed like Arn Anderson the second time. But they didn't reveal his identity at the show. They can make it anyone they want while they investigate. Didn't the show, did the show do its job? Give us a strong angle. 
without completely resolving things, is set up a title match on Saturday's TV show with the challenges going in with a win and establish war games pairing that will be revealed shortly. They gave us one excellent match, a couple of pretty good ones. What matters is if interest in the product is increased, the ratings go up as a result, and the buy rates go up. Although I don't care for Hogan, I don't want Flair to make him in WCW, I would still think to give the show a thumbs up. Without Steamboat Austin, it would be thumbs in the middle. Depressing new arrivals in WCW are Jim Duggan, the honky-tonk man, made the much-talked-about Kurt Hedig deal materialize after the clash. Meltzer reports that ODF will not bring in Papa Shango as a mysterious culprit behind Bob Backlund's new behavior. Shango will return with a new character. He also reports that Barbarian is slated to return. <laughs> I finally... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's what you talking about. Stupid one. Well, that was the rumor, right? Was that Backlund was going to be possessed by Shango. Yeah. That's why he was going crazy. But the story, the legend is that um, Backlund got so over and was killing the uh, angle as well as he was that they decided not to go that route good because that's fucking stupid oh god give bob the credit he deserved it <laughs> what do you think Rooney? would that have worked with shango or do you think it was fine the way it was um i think it was fine the way that it was I me mean, bob Backlund getting possessed by papa shango you know that sounds crazy yeah it would have been <laughs> what were they gonna sense. do uh what were they gonna do papa shango was gonna what, what bob Backlund was gonna throwing up like neon barf like like elder right. warrior like it, it well i think they just figured Backlund would be like the conduit. Shango would be revealed, and he would be the one probably to feud with. I don't know if that was the plan or what, but right. Um, yeah, maybe he'll That's do the chicken dance. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, it's ridiculous, but all right. WCW's taped more uh, worldwide shows in Orlando. Barry Darso debuted as Blacktop Bully, a heel fan who yells at faces. He was at the Clash last night as well. Johnny B. Bad wore the TV title and will feud with Honky Tonk Man. And Ric Flair was suspended because of his involvement in the Clash angle. SummerSlam is on August 29th, 94. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in a cage. Diesel versus Razor Ramon for the IC title. Head Shrinkers versus IRS and Bam Bam Bigelow for the tag titles. Undertaker versus Undertaker. Tatanka versus Lex Luger. Alundra Blaze versus Bull Nakano for the women's title. And Mabel versus Jeff Jarrett. The cage match looks good on paper. I suppose a women's match could surprise that Bull can lift Alundra to a new level. After the show, Owen Hart will feud with Razor Ramon and Bret Hart feuds with Jim Neidhart. JF Magazine is hinting that King Kong Bundy will come in to feud with Bret Hart at some point. There's lots of talk of the two souls of the Undertaker, Evil and Pizza Delivery, or I mean, will be reunified in this event, and that Brian Lee will get a new character. Uh, Runs down the Japanese card that Dirty F held on May 94. He has Bret Hart and Randy Savage in the main event as four stars. Fall Brawl, September 18th. Lineup includes Funk, Buck, Anderson and Parker versus the Rhodes and the Nasty Boys in a war games. Sting versus Angel versus Vader in a triangular match. Steamboat <laughs> versus Steve Austin for the U.S. title. Orndorff and Roma versus Bagwell and Patriot for the tag titles. Cactus Jack versus Kevin Sullivan. Steve Regal versus Johnny B. Bad for the TV title. Halloween Havoc on October 23rd. Hogan versus Flair in a cage with Mr. T as referee and Hogan retiring if he loses. Triple A will broadcast a pay-per-view live on November 6th. Clash 29 on November 16th and Starcade on December 27th. Are you guys have any uh, thoughts on any of those other notes from that installment? <laughs> Sorry, I just can't get over the Papa Shango thing. A bit ridiculous. Yeah. Are you trying to kaboof my blood? And he starts barfing up like a neon orange. No, that would have been fucking horrible. That would have been horrible. Are you trying to kaboof me? No, uh, Summer Slam seems like a solid card. Solid matchups. Yeah, uh, so we're, I mean, I guess that was on the doorstep, so it wasn't anything too uh, revolutionary. They had the car pretty much locked in at that point. 
Um, but he does have the results of SummerSlam in his next note. So let's read his thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. September 2nd, 1994. SummerSlam took place this past Monday night. The only title change of the show was Razor Ramon regaining the IC title from Diesel when Shawn Michaels' interference backfired. The day before the show, in a surprise, the Head Shrinkers lost the tag titles to Diesel and Shawn Michaels. Rumor has it that the Head Shrinkers refused to job on pay-per-view to Bigelow and IRS, the team they were slated to lose the belts to. The Shrinkers did the house show job. The pay-per-view match had a DQ. The talk of Shrinkers being history has begun. We'll have to wait and see. Pay-per-view was billed as having two main events. The first was a cage match for the uh, WF title between Brett and Owen Hart. A somewhat surprising family member in attendance was Davey Boy Smith. This was surprising not only because he recently worked for the competition, but also because he's still facing legal trouble in Calgary for assaulting a man in a bar. In any case, the post-match angle established the sides of the ongoing feud, Brett and Davey Boy versus Owen and Jim. Even in the weeks before the pay-per-view, TV interviews were passing the heat from Owen to Neidhart, leaving a set for singles matches with Brett and Neidhart as well as the tags. Owen Hart is also moving into a singles program with Razor Ramon over the IC title. Despite the mixed reviews of the cage match at SummerSlam, all of the above storyline material did seem good on paper. The second main event featured the return of Mark Calloway as the Undertaker facing Ted DiBiase's fake Undertaker as Brian Lee. While there were lots of talk that Vince McMahon had realized the idea of two Undertakers feuding and teaming had no fan support, the second Taker character was handled strangely by the company. The approach did not work. For some reason, this match was still at the top of the two advertisement events, even though the decision required them to set up and take down the cage for the previous match during the pay-per-view broadcast. Callaway, of course, killed the imposter. Lee will work a short run in Smoky Mountain while the Dirty Brain Trust comes up with a new gimmick. There's already talk of moving the WF title from Bret Hart to The Undertaker through an intermediate heel. Hmm. Lee doesn't return for a while, right? He's not back until the chains is next time back there. Yeah, because yeah. he, he, go he goes to ECW, right? Isn't that when he starts feuding with yeah, Tommy? Yeah, he's a Smoky Mountain and ECW. It's crazy that it seemed like they'd bring him back just once they figured it out. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a while yeah. before he's back. So. so it's definitely, what, uh, almost three years, two and a half years, mm-hmm. probably? Yep. Uh, like yeah. No, yeah, three, almost three. He goes back, I think it's like June 97, right, Gurney? The yeah. DOA shows up. Yeah, that's exactly when DOA was gang warfare. That's right. Gang warfare, the gang wars. So when is he in? <laughs> You would know this, Jr. When is he in? Uh, when does he hit ECW? End of ninety. I think it's ninety six. I don't think he shows Beginning up in ninety six, and then he's there. He's there pretty much. Um, well, he actually he's gone even before. A little before he shows up as chains because we're into like July on the podcast, right? And he right. he left when the triple threat broke up. I think it was like May. So yeah, he probably knew he was headed back. So it's right around that time. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know the exact debut, but I think it's he kind of comes in a little bit and then he's gone again. But then he's then he's in for a full run. Maybe it is more like 95 because he's with Raven for a while. It's a blur. Yeah, uh, well, you're talking. I'll, well, you're doing the notes. So I'm going to I'll check uh, Grant uh, Landy and Graham and see if. Uh, OK, check uh, the ECW shows. So. All right. Other programs coming out of SummerSlam are the Heavenly Bodies of the Smoking Guns, Bigelow versus Adam Bomb and Heel Tatanka versus Face Lex Luger. WWE-TV this past weekend aired an office interview with Commissioner Bockwinkle, where Nick suspended both Flair and Sherry indefinitely for attempting to end the career of Hulk Hogan. It had been expected to go full tilt and say Hogan's career is in jeopardy as a result of the incident of the clash, but they didn't go that route. This leaves them with an explanation for why Hogan will be on the European tour. Ultimate Fighting Championship 3 takes place September 9th, 94, advertises a showdown between Royce Gracie and Ken Shamrock. The print ad has them in a lockup with their names, the champion and the challenger. Shamrock is billed as a Japanese shoot fighting champion. Shamrock talks about losing to Gracie at UFC 1 and learning a lot. And Gracie says some people never learn. 
For overall 94, tentative lineup is still the same as we reviewed last week. Johnny B. Bad blew out his ankle in England is a little concerned about his condition for the show. This past week on TV, they announced the War Games will have Ming in Colonel Parker's place. Halloween Havoc on October 23rd. Tentative lineup is Hogan versus Flair with Mr. T as the ref and Hogan retiring if he loses. AAA, November 6th. Clash, November 16th. Survivor Series, November 23rd. And Stockade, December 27th. Bruni, any uh, thoughts on that set of notes before we get to our last one? Um, you know that um, it, like Summer SummerSlam was a good card, and uh, it it really was a good pay per view. Uh, surprised that you know they didn't have uh, Brian Lee uh, earlier than '97, uh, but uh, you know he comes back in '97, and it's a pretty good gimmick in '97 as well. Um, Bam Bam versus Adam Bomb, you know, two big guys going at it. You know, we know that Bam Bam can move as well in the ring, you know, and uh, Adam Bomb is Adam Bomb. So, yep. And he had just turned face not that long before, right? It was like May or whatever, I think. So, yeah. Um, so it, I didn't see his name, according to uh, Landy and Graham. I don't see his name in 95, but he his first appearance is uh, according to this is in April of 96. He's teaming with the Headhunters against the Pitbulls and Tommy Dreamer. He is at Hostile City Showdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember, that's the show with uh, where he hits uh, Tommy with the fucking cinder block yeah. and the, and that's, the 96. that's 96. That's 96, April right. of 96. Okay. Yeah, so I think he came in early. I don't 96. see him in 96. Yeah, he must have been in. He might have stayed in Smoky Mountain until they shit the bed. So, I think so. Matter of fact, there's the, he's in here too, so. Uh, I'll look that up when you while you're doing cage match man. And, and then also, um, if I may add that Flair and Hogan is like the rivalry of 1994. You know, it's shaped up mm-hmm. that way. You know, from the Bash of the Beach uh, '94, and uh, now we're getting into you know Halloween Havoc with them. So uh, Flair and uh, Flair and Hogan have my vote for a rivalry, best rivalry of 1994 as well. Even about Brett and Owen. Ah, uh, you know, like uh, yeah, just. Yeah, like, I mean, brother versus brother, but, like, I just have a thing for Flair and versus Hogan, you know? They really wanted to outdo each other. Well, it was the money feud. That was the money feud right. for 94 for, for Bischoff and WCW. I mean, that – Brett Owen was for the, die, you know, the Northeast diehards, but Hogan yeah. and Flair were to, were to make money uh, yep. for them. That's So while we were chatting, uh, I see one instance in 1995 – of Brian Lee in Smoky Mountain, the show called Fire on the Mountain from August of 95. He loses to Brad Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it for that. I don't know if, let me check. Well, now. Check his cage this match. Is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is uh, he's pretty much all over 94 in right. Smoky Mountain. As a matter of fact, even after he was, well, obviously they were working with, uh, they were working with, WWF. So he was so even after the Taker stuff, um yeah, like it says here on this show from August of ninety-four, it was announced that, that during the show, following the frequent title changes, Tammy Fitch fired Brian Lee. That was on August thirteenth. And then he doesn't all right, and then he doesn't come back until September tenth. So he's pretty much gone mm-hmm. from Smoky Mountain during that month that he's under Faker, pretty much. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, early ninety six <laughs> is when he shows up at ETW, so yeah, so, so he's definitely like a year and a half almost. Yeah, he's pretty much in Smoky Mountain pretty extensively throughout the end through '94 and into 
early 95 and then he's kind of off the radar till he shows up in ECW in 90 in uh, April of 96. So. All right. Our final one here tonight, September 9th, 94, is reported on the net a couple times now. This past Clash of Champions with Hulk Hogan's knee clubbing incident was the second most watched clash of all time behind Clash 12, September 90. Strangely enough, viewed as the worst clash of the time with one good match with Flair versus Luger and a terrible Sting versus Black Scorpion main event. The highest rated wrestling show on cable since Clash 12 and the highest rated special on TBS. Flair versus Hogan is the most watched cable wrestling match ever. Will any of that increased viewership stick around? It's funny that Dave Meltzer launched into a very similar diatribe to what I posted shortly after the show on the company bringing Hogan in and making him Superman. WCW was dying and just about dead before he arrived. The term life support systems used here frequently was an apt description. The direction the company was going in was one that had been failing for years. I'm not saying Hogan will be the long-term success, but for those complaining that the company's sacrificing his future by going to the past, they're forgetting the company had no president and no future, except the money-bleeding organization before Hogan showed up. With the amount of money the campaign invested in him, they can't afford to not build around him. It may not work, but it was the card that, car that had to be played. It was the only game Bischoff could take that had a chance of turning things around. To do that, they couldn't hold back on Hogan one bit. The company at least has a present, and because of Hogan. Of course, I said that they still had some great workers on top with Flair, uh, Austin, Sting, Sting, Steamboat Vader. They still have rarely bad matches. Melster also co- continues about the booking. The other complaint was the lack of originality in booking, no doubt. However, booking originality is one of the most overrated aspects of the business. The job of a booker is not to be original. It's to draw money and create interest. Copying old ideas that worked before and are outdated when it comes to changing business can work again. Sometimes something to be commended for, not criticized. The Ming angle, while not original, will be successful in getting the character over stronger. So it's a good angle. The Hogan angle, while it would have been, meant more in the long run if it had been sold stronger and thus left something to be desired when it was over, did work as far as the show itself, since the ratings built tremendously from start to finish, which means more people were tuning into their sets than turning off as the show went on. Milster confirmed that the masked man was Arn Anderson and will reveal to be Kurt Hennig down the road. Talk is always better that Hennig's contract runs until November. For the record, Melser had Hogan Flair at three and a half. Speaking of ratings, Melser also raved about SummerSlam's cage match, giving it five stars, saying it was the best match humanly possible given the constrictions of WF cage rules. Frank Ziccarelli, Toronto Sun colonist, wrote that the cage match will be remembered as a Matt Classic, joining the elite bouts of Savage, Steamboat, Flair, Piper, and Hogan versus Andre. It was that good. A couple of weeks ago, there was also an interview with Roddy Piper in a local paper plugging the movies working on. He said, I don't want to fight anybody anymore. I've had 6,000 pro fights, three-time world champion, 21 titles. I suppose 21 number could be correct. The article went on, though he's retired from wrestling, he'll fight for charity organizations. But even that seems to be a bit much. It hurt so much to move afterward, Piper said. It was last charity fight two months ago. I think I'm getting old. The man's got to know his limitations. Piper has a six-album recording deal with A&M. The first one due out later this year describes his music as being rockabilly. When asked if he can sing, Piper smiles and says, I can sing from my heart. But the technicalities and stuff, no, I'm not the best singer in the world. Another big event later this year, Piper's wife is expecting their seventh child. A lot of Roddy Piper news in there. That's of course, classy. one of the songs uh, Chad and I recently covered on Wrestling Warzone, uh, I'm Your Man. The, uh, yes. Or I want to be awesome. your man. Or it is the... Uh, uh, music video from 1992 in Europe, but yes, it looks like a six album deal from Roddy Piper. I don't know if any of those ever six albums. Like any other band gets six albums. Good lord. And of course, a year and a half later, he would be back in the ring at WrestleMania and then beyond WCW for years. So, yeah. As usual, take it with a grain of salt. 
We had guests stay in our apartment for the weekend. It turns out one of them knew Lance Evers quite well. Now Lance Storm is a, quite a muscular gymnast and always talked about becoming a wrestler. A muscular gymnast. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fantastic. The Honky Tonk Man was absolutely horrid in his debut matches this past week on TV. Jim Duggan looked better than I remembered him, but just showed a little ability as I remember. It's hard to believe this is the same guy who was great for Bill Watts. I will say this. Duggan in 94 is jacked. So I get what he's saying. It looks great because I think when he comes out of Starcade is like the best Duggan's ever looked physically. He is like slim, just beefed up, like looks amazing in that show. Mm. So he was definitely hitting the gym preparing for this run. Jim Ross's history in the WF, him and Vince McMahon could not come to new terms on a short-term contract to cover Vince's trial absence, ran out. Ross reportedly had to Smokey Mountain to be the regular commentator there. I'd love to see that. Ross was tremendous for the big Knoxville show on August 5th. He was the best part of the business. He's the best in business when his product is based in realism. Brian Lee will probably be brought back to WF for the biker gimmick. I guess they had that one in the works uh, for a while. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Marinating. Jesus. Oh, man. Crush is supposedly history. Yeah, That's true. He is. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, he'll be back. He pops back up for the Rumble, and then he's gone till. Oh, was this when he got popped for steroids, I believe? Yeah, and the guns and all that. So I think it's when he yeah. goes to jails early '95. Yeah, yeah. So Eastern Championship Wrestling evokes strong emotions from a lot of people here, as evidenced in a recent thread. I remember the Tank Brothers and their clan of Smoky Mountain fan week and how obnoxious they were about it. August 27th, ECW carded the sanction of the NWA Board of Directors to create a new NWA World Champion. It was much talked about in the sheets and news groups. According to fans that reported into Meltzer, the show had one excellent match, Scorpio versus Benoit, four and a quarter. The winner of the tournament was to drop the title to whoever the board selected when Jim Crockett got his promotion off the ground. Instead, the backstabbing the business is famous for surfaced as the turning winner, Shane Douglas, essentially discarded the NWA title and said the ECW title is more important. The NWA exists pretty much in name only at this point. There's a small board of directors, Crockett, Steve Ricard, and Des Coraluzzo, who want to get memberships in small promotions like Smoky Mountain and reestablish some of the old territorial structure, presumably with Crockett once again ruling the nest. That's the dream right now. Crockett and Coraluzzo both run shows on the NWA banner this past year, but no more than you can count on your hand. The talent has been stale for the most part and new and unskilled with few notable exceptions. ECW runs infrequent shows one or two a month in Philadelphia and the surrounding area. They draw close to a thousand fans and their monthly shows in Philly, but get few far when they stray away from the home arena. Melster labeled the ECW arena hardcore audience as having in-your-face mindset. ECW guys that want to earn a living from wrestling work all kinds of outside shows from Indies to Japan to Smoky Mountain. There's now talk that Terry Funk is done with ECW and that Sabu will eventually work out a deal with the WF. They put on violent matches. We what we have here are a bunch of fledgling promotions with dreams several sizes larger than anything realistic considering where they are now. In grade school, a class is filled with little kids and a few are bigger than the rest. The bigger kids squabble a bit and one kid comes out as a bully. He's still he's still in grade school though, and he's still a kid. I'd like to ask like Todd Gordon, Paul Heyman, and Jim Crockett where they see themselves in the promotions in five years' time. When that question was asked to Jim Cornette, he said he's hopefully gonna be pretty much the same, running maybe a bit bigger house shows on average. Some I don't expect to get Incredibly reasonable answer from the other guys. They're still in grade school. I wasn't quite reading the tea leaves fully there. Uh, ECW, of course, would blow up out of that. Ultimate Fighting 2 is on 9-9. Fall Brawl 9-18. Full card is the same as we've been talking about. Halloween Havoc on 10-23. Triple-A on 11-6. WCW helping the group break into pay-per-view by running promos on TBS. And Tony Schiavone will provide English commentary for the show. 
New Japan will run another junior heavyweight tournament this year from November 15th to the 20th. Our bar, El Hio del Santo, Sacosis, Mascara Sagrada, and Blue Panther. Clash 29, November 16th. Survivor Series, November 23rd from San Antonio with the Hart Family Feud expected to generate the main event. And Star K94 on December 27th. So that's it for Herb. Any final thoughts before we move along? Um, uh, all right. Oh, good. Uh, good, Greeny. Well, that, like, they're not wrong about, um, they're not wrong about WCW putting all their eggs into Hogan's basket, you know, because where was WCW going to go? Signing Hulk Hogan to WCW is probably like the big, was, was the biggest, uh, you know, positive for WCW in moving forward and what direction they're going to go in with Hogan there. It's a big plus for them. So, um, Meltzer has it right where, um, you know, they needed to, uh, they needed to put all their eggs in one basket and that was Hogan. Uh, I agree. Uh, I agree too. So they, I went to- they absolutely had to like, they, they had to yeah. go to those lengths with him. Was, if you're going to spend the money and bring them in, I know history tells us, right? And Scott, even we did our series on WCW 94. We were, we were regretting when that all happened, right? Saying, Oh, it was so good. But as Melcher illustrates, like business was in the shitter. Like they had to make the move and roll the dice that Hogan could turn it around or else WCW might've ended a lot earlier or at least yeah, stayed yeah. much I- more regionalized. Right. I think the, I think a lot of people seem to forget that the, pro wrestling in general in the mid 90s was or early to mid 90s was kind of frightening. Um, you know, we still had plenty of, of in you know promotions. But in terms of uh, on a national scope, WWF was not the only one that was in the shitter. It was mm-hmm. their problem was Vince possibly going to jail, but they weren't drawing flies. No disrespect to Brad or Owen or anybody or, you know, Sean or whatever. No, the whole and business was in the shitter. Yeah, the whole business was in the shitter. Mm-hmm. We were, they were the 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 national expansion and the 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 the, the quote federation era that we love and we documented at Jr. for for you know obviously eighty five to ninety two, but it was dipping everywhere. It wasn't just dipping WWF. WCW was in big trouble. Um, you know, Flair's even though Flair had come back in ninety three and he you know he won the big match with Vader at Stockade, um, they were in trouble. The difference between Hogan, the difference between WCW and WWF is WWF didn't have the money or the wherewithal to find that face, whereas WCW did, and Hogan left and well, came in. And they gave I wouldn't say they didn't have the money or wherewithal because they were, I mean, there's rumors that they almost panicked, signed Hogan again in 94. So I think that it more, less that they were um, unable to conjure up the money or desire, I think it was just that they were they had just moved past it, right? So, like, to bring it back would be like, okay, we just did this. Do we really want to do it again? Right. And I think the other thing, too, is Vince probably thinking that thinking that he was going to the pokey, right. uh, he signs Hogan, and you think Jerry Jarrett's going to fucking, you know, call the shots? I don't think so. We would have had, you know, Vince gets out of the prison and Hogan's on like a 987. He'd have as many, he would have had as long a stretch as Roman Reigns does right now. (laughs) That's really what happened. So I just don't think Vince trusted. I just don't think Vince trusted Hogan to do the right thing when he was there. Mm -hmm. I think he would have just buried everybody and, and called the shots. And and I think he was just, that's just a theory. I'm totally pulling that out of my ass, but I have a feeling that might be what one of the, 
one of the things might I, have been, I think the so. biggest reason was just that they had just been there done that and right it didn't fully work out they still ran into the same shit with hogan and at some point you just got to move on like the the relationship right. is like a keyboard you can break up and get back together multiple times but sometimes it's just, it's just not going to work so i think exactly. they maybe finally realized too like all right like we finally have moved on let's not go backwards again right uh so uh, I, I, it doesn't surprise me that on an episode that Grooney's on, we're di- di- diving this much into Brian Lee of all people, but I, I did bring up his cage match. And so <laughs> May 12th, May 12th, 94, he was in Smoky Mountain at a beat the champ television title. And he actually, he was the champion actually, mm-hmm. which is weird. He was a champion. Uh, and then fast forward, then there's a gap. His next match is May of 95. So but next match, shouldn't say that. So May 12th, 94, he's in Smoky Mountain. Then, of course, the match at, at SummerSlam, but they're not counting that because they're not, it's not on this list here because it wasn't him. It was under Faker. But So he wrestles you know, some of those you know, Raws and the matches leading up to SummerSlam. Then his next actual match, May 4th of 95, or is it April 3rd? Um, I forgot. This is, this is European. April 3rd of 95, he's in USWA. And he wins the world title. He beats Brian Christopher. So at the Mid-Pop Coliseum. So he's, so he's the I know. So he's the world champion <laughs> in USWA. And he's there till pretty much uh then there's a gap. His last match in Smoky Mountain. I'm sorry, his last match in USWA is September 4th, 95. He and uh and uh Jesse James Armstrong, we all know who that would end up being. Beat Lawler and Sid by DQ at Mid-South Coliseum. And then the next match is that April 12th, 96 in ECW when he and the Headhunters wrestle the Pipples and Tommy Dreamer. And he's there. Oh, let's see. This goes into 97. He's in. He's yeah, in. That's he's, like he's, yeah. And then he. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, WWF. So it looks yeah. like he's in ECW, uh, till May fifth. So his his technically his his TV debut is June twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. on Shotgun Saturday Night. He and Crush beat the Headbangers. That must so have been after they showed up on Raw, though, because when they show up on. Raw is when um, they just like ride around the ring on the bikes. They don't wrestle. Yeah, this is just matches. Yeah, this is just matches. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was actually they showed up. I must have been the Raw right before that because it's it's like two weeks after King of the Ring. Because the night after King of the Ring is when the Nation purges and rebuilds. Yeah. Like he fires Crush and Savio. Well, yeah, that's then the, the week that's after the DOA show up. Then the week after that, the Bariqua show up, and that's our show. Yeah. Well, the night after the night at that Raw is that's the Hartford Raw where. Brett and Sean have the, the sunny fight and all that shit. So oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so yeah. So his first official WWF match is June twenty third, ninety seven, uh, in Detroit on an episode of Shotgun. So there we go. So if you ever wanted to hear anything more about Brian Lee, it's right here. <laughs> <laughs> There's a multiple pay per view, uh, pay per podcast, ECW, yes. uh, June through a dance, TNA never dies. We have a lot of Brian yes. Lee on there. So yes, you um, do. And of course here. So there you go. All right. All right. uh, it's, it's been a minute since we've been together, but last time we were, it was a uh, quite the evening in uh, Nashville. I mean, you were belting out karaoke. You were trying to hit on uh, future brides. <laughs> was it a bachelor party? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
you were getting uh, shoved away, uh, cock blocked, as it were. Uh, but it was a wild night. It was a fun time, buddy. It was a, it's a fun time. Yeah, it was. It was a very fun time. Until the COVID came back, he kicked me in the butt. <laughs> as he usually does. Uh, also having a wild night was John Cougar Mellencamp in 1994, the number three song in the nation this week. Brings us to Scott Criscolo's Vintage Pop Culture Corner. Thank you, uh, JR. Uh, yes, uh, number three this week. Uh, on this weekend, or on this week, I should say, uh, which is uh, September 10th, 1994, so the week ending September 10th, uh, I'll Make Love to You, Boys to Men, still number one, which, of course, Grooney apparently was singing at this bar in Nashville. Uh, at, I'm sure I'm sure that was the karaoke. I'm sorry I missed it. Uh, at number two, Stay, I Missed You, which Grooney sang at the end of the night. Uh, on at this bar in Nashville. Wow, this is this is so this is so perfect. This is the perfect gritty podcast. Brian Lee, perfect karaoke songs. Uh, and then number three was as as JR mentioned, Wild Night by John Mellencamp. So wow, this, this is right in your wheelhouse. This is like your list. Um, uh, looking at the rest, number four, When Can I See You by Baby. Oh my God. Uh, number five, Stroke You Up by the Changing Face. I'm not even going there. Changing Faces. Uh, number six, Fantastic Voyage by Coolio. Rest in peace. Yeah. Number seven, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King, Elton John. Oh, I swear. Goes. Yeah. I swear from All for One, JR, which I feel like we've mentioned every pop culture corner mm-hmm. in this year. At number eight, This DJ by Warren G. At nine, and Don't Turn Around by Ace of Bass at number 10. So there was your billboard list. Let's go from the radio to the movies. What was going on this week in 94? Uh, on the screen, so the week ending uh, the 9th, or the weekend of the 9th of September 1994, here is your top 10. Uh, number 10, Corinna, Corinna, no idea what that is, uh, it was a new line film. Number 9, The Lion King, at this point, 265, there are a lot of powerhouses on this list, just to let you know. Uh, number t- 9, The Lion King, still making big money. Number 8, True Lies, which is a fucking amazing movie, as we've talked about, and number 8, uh, number seven, the next Karate Kid. Oh. Yes, let's let's be honest. Please. Are we? Are we? Gurney, have you watched? I know Jr. You have. Gurney, do you watch uh, Cobra Kai? You do, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, so do we think we're gonna see a little a little Hillary in a season? What are we up to? Six. She's uh, only yeah, one left. She's um, only one left. That's like pushing your luck, I think. You know, I feel like that's pushing pushing the luck. I mean, it's a spiritual connection because really she's only connected to Mr. Me. I don't know, Jared. What do you think? I don't think so. I, don't think, I think they either. keep I it think, to the originals. Yeah, I think it's I think they've hit the, the wall of cameos. I don't think there's anybody left. So, all right. Number yeah. six, uh, Milk Money. Do I remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Milk Money. Remember That's, the uh, Ed Harris, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Melanie uh, Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Milk Money. Uh, let's see. Where they pay for a hooker. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, the kids buy a hooker, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, romantic comedy. Yep. The firm is about three suburban 11 year old boys who find themselves behind in the battle of the sexes, believing they would regain the upper hand if they could just see a real live naked lady. 
Okay, sounds like a 90s version of real science. Okay. At number five, uh, The Mask. This is, the top five is just all bangers, yeah. all of them. Awesome. Number five, The Mask, which hit 100 million by this point. Number four, little uh, John Grisham action, Trial by Jury, uh, debuted on this week. This was actually its first week. Number three, uh, little Jack Ryan, Clear and Present Danger, which hits a million, 100 million. Great movie. Sequel with actually the third Jack Ryan movie, the second with Harrison Ford. Uh, Patriot Games is my favorite, but Clear and Present Danger is good. Uh, Natural Born Killers, not them, but the movie at number two. And no, no, Grooney, I didn't say Natural Born Thrillers, all right? So we don't need two hours of Mike Sanders, okay? Uh, this is the Grooney pod, though. Just everything is fitting into place. It's very serendipitous. Uh, Natural Born Killers at number two, and at number one, at over 250 million, uh, Forrest Gump. So pretty, pretty loaded, uh, Weekend of movies in the fall of 1994. So guess what? We leave the theater and we take the field. Oh, boy. All right, Grooney, ready to take a shit kick and to kick the season off? <laughs> I've actually been waiting for this. I was like, oh, I uh, wonder if I'm going to make the NFL. So uh, for the first time, I think, JR, in the history of uh, us doing this, we are actually doing a week one oh, okay. uh, of a season. Because usually WWF doesn't do pay-per-views at the beginning right. of September. It's usually the end of September. So this is week one of the 1994 NFL season. Of course, the Cowboys are your two-time Defending yes. Uh A lot of people cared because they were making big money. Money. All right. Week one, 1994. Gurney, are you ready? Yes, All sir. Right. Here we go. We will begin at Soldier Field in Chicago where the Bears, the Bears, start uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, JR. I will take the Bears at home. Okay. Gurney? I'm going to take the Bears as well. Uh, is that Eric Kramer? Yes, he threw for 212. Bears win 21 to 9. I don't think it's Cosmo. So uh, probably Eric. Yep, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, let us go to now uh, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. The Battle of Slowhio as the Cincinnati Bengals host the Cleveland Browns. Greeny. Give me Cleveland. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I'll take the Browns too. I think the Bengals are pretty bad at this point. Uh, yes, they are. David Klingler, who was like their number one pick, I think, a couple years earlier, uh, threw for 224, but Browns win 28 to 20. Let's go to uh, the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, where the Colts host the Houston Oilers, JR. All right. The Oilers had just come off uh, that fiasco with the Bills in the playoffs. Yes. I know the Colts would get pretty good a, a year later. Um, they make right. They make the AFC title game out of nowhere, but I don't mm-hmm. think they were quite there yet. So I'm gonna stick with the Oilers. No hangover okay. for Houston. Gurney, I'll, I'll take the Colts. You forgot one thing, Jr. A rookie by the name of Marshall Falk rushed for uh, 143. Colts win 45-21. And Warren geez. Moon, I think, was out of Houston by then. I don't even think he was still with the Oilers. Did he go to Minnesota by then? I have no idea. But he didn't start for them anyway. So. Uh, we go to the Silver Dome in Pontiac, where the Lions host Mr. Campbell's Atlanta Falcons, Greeny. 
I'll take the Atlanta Falcons. I'll take the Lions. Yeah. <sighs> Same thing with you, Gruny. Forgot about a certain running back by the name of Barry Sanders. Rush oh. for a buck twenty. Lions win in overtime, thirty-one to twenty-eight. And Jeff George is oh. quarterback of the Falcons. That should tell you everything you need to know. All right, uh, let's go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The Packers host the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Gru- uh, Jr. I will take. Uh, I'll take the Vikings on this one. Okay, Greeny, Greeny. Give me the Vikings as well. Uh, Brett Favre threw for a buck eighty-five. Defensive struggle. Packers win, sixteen ten. Let's go to the Superdome in New Orleans. The Saints hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Greeny. The Saints. Saints. I'll go Kansas Care. City here. Uh, Jim Everett, I think this is his first game for the Saints. Threw for 326, but the Chiefs win 32-17. Let's go to Giants Stadium in the Meadowlands. The Giants hosting Philadelphia. Uh, JR. I'll take Philly on the road. Philly on the road. Grooney? Same, Philly. Randall Cunningham did throw for 344, but the Giants win 28-23. to Let's go to uh, RFK in our nation's capital, the Washington You-Know-Who's hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Grooney. Let's go Washington. Yeah, I'll take the Hogs. The Hogs turn to bacon. Seahawks win 28-7. Tough start. Speaking of Buffalo, let us go to Rich Stadium in Orchard Park where the, what, three-time defending, wait, Mm four-time defending AFC champion, Bills take on the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, mm. Jets. All right. Uh, so, 94 was their last year before things fall apart. And I believe they start well before things go south later in the year. Uh, so, yes, that said, Buffalo is the defending champions. So I'm going to take them at home. Okay. I'll take the Jets. JR, you poor bastard. Jets uh, 23. Bills 3. Wow. Boomer. <laughs> Boomer, baby. Through 214. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Let's go to the Orange Bowl, or whatever the fuck it's called now. Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. The Dolphins and the New England Patriots. Year two of the... Uh, of the uh, Drew Bledsoe era, Gruny, what do you got? Miami. Okay. Jar? Uh, yeah, I'll take Miami at home, Marino. Well, Marino threw for 473 yards. Dolphins win 39-35. Let's go to Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, where the defending world champion, Dallas Cowboys, take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jr. Dallas. Gurney? Dallas. Emmett rushes for a buck 71. Cowboys win 26 to 9. Let's go to uh, Anaheim Stadium in LA. The final year of the Los Angeles Rams in LA. They host the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Gurney. Cardinals. Okay. Yeah, Fair. I'll go Arizona. Rams win a squeaker 14 12. Let's go to Mile High Stadium in Denver. The Broncos host the San Diego Superchargers. JR. Uh, Denver. Uh, no, no. Hang on. I will take San Diego on this one. 
Okay. Greeny? I'll take Denver. John Elway did throw for 371 yards, but the Chargers win a close one in a fun, pretty good fantasy game, I would think, 37-34. And finally, Monday night from Candlestick Park in San Francisco, the 49ers and the L.A. Raiders. Greedy. 49ers. Niners. Steve Young throws for 308, and Jerry Rice catches 169 of it. Niners win 44-14. All right, Grooney, you gave it a valiant effort. We both battled back from an early hole, uh, and I defeated you 8-7, to seven, but uh, strong showing out of you. Nicely done. Thank you. Right. Nicely done. All also right. strong and showing. Finally, oh, sorry. Go ahead. One more thing. Oh, this is the most important thing for you guys, for all of us. Go ahead. Because... On this, it was actually this night, 14 years ago, exactly this night, September 7th, 1994, probably, guys, one of the most important episodes in the history of one of our favorite shows, for it is the season five premiere of Beverly Hills 90210. The episode of Valerie. Yes, what I did on my summer vacation and other stories. Uh, after enjoying a successful summer in London, Brenda decides to stay in England and pursue her stage career. With her room vacant, the Walsh family agrees to take in Valerie Malone, the college-age daughter of a family friend who has committed suicide. Valerie appears charming and likable, but unknown to the group, she is actually cynical and manipulative. At a fucking smoke show and plots to get involved <laughs> with Steve for his money. Donna returns from her summer stay in Texas and claims that she's over with David, who's doing a video for his film class with a little help from Nat about his summer of working with Babyface, dating and being dumped by both a girlfriend and the tour and having some good luck near the end of the season. Uh, the good news is that David is going to have a single dorm room and received a brand new car as a gift from his grandparents. But that evening, Donna has an emotional meltdown when she runs into David at a nightclub. Meanwhile, Dylan breezes back into town after an alcohol binge-filled summer in Mexico while he tries to process the loss of his entire fortune when his stepmother, Suzanne, and her boyfriend, Kevin, stole his money. Kelly and Brandon take their relationship public. Also, Jesse and Andrea take their premature baby daughter, Hannah, home from the hospital after Andrea details how her mother's intuition was the reason Hannah is still alive. Mm -hmm. Mr. JR, I'm going to ask you this now, and of course you and uh, Mr. Capel will continue over in the 9021 so when you get to this episode in 2028. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe 2027, we'll see. Um, thinking about what happened at the end of season four, was Tiffany Thiessen a show, I don't want to say changer, was she a show saver? No, I think the rest of the cast have been built up enough that they would have survived without Brenda, without having a replacement. And it's always been positioned as a replacement in, in the cast. I guess it is. But Valerie is much more of a heel than Brenda really was. I mean, Brenda right. acted heelish a lot of the time, but she was still like the main protagonist from the beginning. So it, like Kelly just kind of slides up to be kind of the main protagonist on the female side. Oh, definitely. And then well, Valerie she... comes in more as a heel, who eventually right. will get some redemption along the way. But it was clear it wasn't always like a straight one to one replacement. So I think she 
definitely was a major asset to the show. And this no way is meant to diminish her role in the show, which is great. But no, I think I think they would have been still fine without her because I think it was a bit of a juggernaut by that point. Right. I I, I tend to agree with that as well. Uh, what do you think, Rooney? Well, I mean, you go from uh, real like you know a baby face to um, you know like very different like the whole heel and baby face thing. You know, like it went from straight baby face to straight heel because Valerie comes with a storm. You know, she takes Beverly Hills by a storm. So um, very good. Uh, lots of drama um, and uh, lots of. Um, you know, lots of drama and stuff going on uh, as we get into uh, as you get into season five uh, with uh, new casting direction and uh, new storylines and uh, things. Things look like uh, the heat is turning up in Beverly Hills. Absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned, Jr., I believe Jenny Garth's she gets bumped up to two on the cast. Uh, Brandon, of course, uh, is always first until mm-hmm. he leaves. And then Brenda is now up to number two. Uh, is this the season? There's two seasons where Nat actually makes the makes the credits. I know he's he's in the credits in the last season. I think he makes. The I credits. thought he's in it There's right through se- the end. No, I thought as soon as he gets in, he's he never leaves them. No, I mean the the oh, I'm sorry, the opening credits. I yeah. mean like the you know the. I don't think he's in it every. Yeah, I know he I is. Think he's as always, soon as he makes it the first time, he's in it right through. Definitely. See, I don't remember his face in the. I have to look yeah, at. That. I don't remember his face. He's in know. it. I don't. Um, so I'm gonna have to look that up anyway. Uh, so there you go. So a memorable historic episode of 90210 on this night in 1994, the season premiere of season five, the game changer, Valerie Malone, who has a pretty good season five, but, uh, six through eight are like her, like total wheelhouse. She's pretty good in this season, but, but Tiffany just absolutely buries it in, uh, six, seven and eight, particularly six and seven. Mm hmm. So that, with that, is your uh, Pop Culture Corner. Okay, also Game Changer is all of our great podcasts here. North South Connection, the Place to Be Nation pop experience, and this very network here, the Place to Be Nation wrestling uh, feed, the OG. Sure, check all of those out. Subscribe, leave some feedback. We appreciate all of the support across all of our offerings. And with that, we're going to fast forward to 2008, back to our main timeline to discuss... Unforgiven. September 7th, 2008, from the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. Attendance 8,707. 211,000 buys the 10th and to date final edition of Unforgiven it's also Ohio's 12th pay-per-view tying with Florida for 5th on the list at this point and the 5th in Cleveland the most recent list Survivor Series 2004 on August 26 John Cena underwent neck surgery at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center after his uh, injury sustained at SummerSlam on August 30th Hall of Famer Kilikowski passed away at the age of 81. Triple H would be a pallbearer at his funeral. Of course, yours truly gets to interview the killer at a uh, show on my college campus. And it was pretty cool meeting him for a uh, larger than life presence for sure. Trainer to many future stars at that point. 
the hook in this pay-per-view is to debut a new match type, the Championship Scramble, introduced by GM Mike Adamley. The rules are as follows. The match would have five competitors and a 20-minute time limit. Two men start the match. Every five minutes, a new competitor enters. If a competitor scores a pin or submission at any time, they become an interim champion. And whoever is interim champion at the end of the 20 minutes would officially become the champion at the end of the bout. Dark match in the evening. Evan Bourne taking on John Morrison. And then that brings us into a very solid opening video package focusing on those scrambles. And Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, which we'll see as well tonight. We enter Cleveland. We're welcomed in by Todd Grisham and Matt Stryker, our ECW team, because our opening match is our ECW scramble bout. That includes Mark Henry taking on Matt Hardy, The Miz, Chavo Guerrero, and Finley for the ECW title. Uh, Scott, how did we get to this point? All right. Well, let us see. Uh... My God, we're up to oh, we're up to the, our wonderful, delicious uh, notes are up to 93 pages. So it's taking a minute. Here we go. All right. Uh, <laughs> order of entry. Well, we'll do that in a second. Um, on the 819 ECW, uh, Matt received a rematch against Henry and Henry would defeat Matt to uh, regain the title on the 826 ECW. GM Teddy Long announced that Henry would defend the title at Unforgiven and a championship scramble. And there would be a series of qualifying matches to determine the participants of the qualifying matches, Matt defeated John Morrison, Miz defeated Evan Bourne, uh, Finley defeated Mike Knox, and Guerrero defeated Tommy Dreamer. On the 9-1 Raw, the five men competed in a battle royal, which Henry won as he would eliminate all four men. And on the 9-2 ECW, all five men appeared on the dirt sheet and insulted each other until a brawl broke out, with Dreamer and Bourne also getting involved. And later that night, Matt, Dreamer, Bourne, and Finley defeated Henry, Guerrero, Morrison, and Miz in an eight-man tag when Matt pinned Henry. And that brings us to now. All right. So let's get into it then. <clears throat> Matt Hardy comes out to a big pop. Pretty good choice to open the show, of course. Stryker tells us the random drawing to determine the entry order, and Hardy wants revenge for SummerSlam. We'll see if he can cash in. Miz is out second in his hometown. A big chance for him. We get loud Henry chances. We get going with feeling out. Pretty good job by Grisham and Stryker explaining the rules and concept, getting it over out of the gate. Very important role, given uh, it's the first time we're seeing these matches. Hardy mainly controls the opening stretch, a lot of grinding down, and then some strikes and pin attempts. Miz trips up Hardy in the ropes to take over and clubs away, goes to a chin lock. Miz starts to stack two counts, fending off comebacks, but his lack uh, of put-away offense really keeps him from closing out. He does hit a reality check, but Hardy rolls to the floor. Out comes Chavo. He's still around, still in the title picture. Right away, it's a frog splash and pins Matt Hardy to become the current ECW champion. Grisham gets in a Robert Frost reference, which pops Stryker. Chavo controls from there as Hardy's banged up and Miz can't turn the tide. Grisham and Stryker, I thought, were fantastic throughout this. It's really good analysis and chemistry. Very straightforward style. Chavo tries to superplex on Miz, but Hardy saves. It allows Miz to hit a crossbody block on both guys for two. Hardy heats up and cuts down both and beats Chavo with a side effect to win the ECW title. Hardy tries to play defense to slow the match down or run the clock. Henry and Atlas stalk out next. Everyone gathers around and preps to deal with Henry as he enters, but it doesn't work as he swats everyone off and starts throwing bodies around. Hardy squishes Chavo, wins the belt back, and then wrecks Miz right after. Pretty great showing out of the gate for him. The champ continues to swat off everyone attacking him, throwing guys around. Really fun structure to the match here as Henry's sick power looks really good to be, you know, good thing to be featured here to kill some time. Hardy clamps on a bear hug. 
Uh, Henry clamps out a bear hug on Hardy and holds that till Finley comes out. He's our last entrant, so we got five minutes to go. Finley starts hot, tries to snag as best to snag a win on Henry, but he gets trapped in a bear hug as well. Hornswoggle comes in and gets Henry to break the hold, and Finley hits him with a shillelagh. He then works over Hardy and pitches Henry to the floor. Finley gets a Celtic cross and pins Hardy, so he's now the champion. Miz wipes out Finley but walks into a twist of fate, and now Hardy's the champion again. Miz is busted near his eye and travels with a frog splash, but the pin gets broken up. Henry goes into beast mode and wrecks everyone, but every cover gets broken up as he knifes through every guy, especially Miz, who just murders with a splash. We get a flurry of teases in the last 90 seconds, but Matt Hardy escapes and leaves the show as the ECW heavyweight champion. A really fun match. They did a great job making the gimmick pop to start the show. The crowd was into it. We churned right through, giving lots of examples of finishes. It was a unique group of guys, too, but they really meshed and made it work. I thought it was a good idea to center it around Henry's power offense as well. Uh, a fun opener and a good decision to get the belt on Hardy to mix things up as well. And the crowd was into it, too. So I went three and a half, Scott. I thought it was a really str- strong start for, the, start for the gimmick itself and for ECW. I agree 100%. Uh, or match time, of course, was even 20 minutes. I gave it, I thought it was a lot of fun. Of, of small guys that could battle. And, and guys, Mark Henry was a solid ECW champion, I thought, even if it was a small window. Uh, I think this was good for Matt. Matt, of course, had just lost the U.S. title, as we documented on the two shows ago, JR, to uh, Shelton. So they liked Matt. They felt good about him. They, uh, they, uh, you know, thought very highly of them. Obviously, they're highly of both brothers. Um, we'll talk more about uh, Jeffrey a little bit later. Uh, but they were becoming bastions of both brands. Matt was the, uh, I guess he was the ECW brand, I guess. But he was kind of teetering between, what, ECW and Raw, I suppose. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, SmackDown. Cause his brother, well, Jeff's on SmackDown, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, But anyway, it was, I mean, he... he uh, he was definitely a guy that they, they relied on. He was good in ring. This was also a chance for the other guys like Miz and some of these guys to kind of start boosting themselves up a little bit. Um, I liked the Mark Henry, Tony Atlas combo, so I'm hoping it doesn't go away because it's a lot of fun to watch. But overall, Gruny, I thought it was a fun scramble with some different personalities and different bodies. In my opinion, probably the best one of the night, probably. Um, I gave this, uh, I gave it a three, I gave it a three. Um, I might, uh, disagree with you on, uh, that, but, uh, when we get there, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you why. Um, I did like this one. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was a smart move by Hardy to roll out after, uh, the reality check. So Miz couldn't be champion. Chavo getting sneaky with, um, Doing the frog splash uh, to to um, Matt Hardy becomes champion, and then like um, if you're if you were the champion, like you know you want to keep everyone away from each other basically because you know anybody can get pinned. Um, but uh, a good good finish as well uh, because everyone was trying to pin somebody and Matt Hardy held out, so I go three on that one. All right, Jeff and Matt celebrate backstage, and they're rooting for a hearty, clean sweep tonight together. So we'll see. We then go to Jim Ross and Taz. They reset and introduce the poll of the night, which is whether or not Vicky Guerrero should have allowed Big Show into the SmackDown scramble. So we'll get to that in a moment, what that's about. 
Uh, but Scott, first up, we have our Raw Tag Team title match as Crime Time take on Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. Want to tell us about how we marched into this match? Well, sir, on the uh, 818 Raw, Crime Time would cost Rhodes and Rhodes and DiBiase a match against John Cena and stole the tag titles. The following week on 825, Rhodes and DiBiase called Crime Time out and they appeared in one of the skyboxes as they challenged them to a title match at the pay-per-view with DiBiase accepting. And the following week, on September 1st, Randy Orton confronted Rhodes and DiBiase about having the belts stolen, with Orton slapping Rhodes in the face. And later that night, Crime Time fought John Morrison and The Miz to a no contest as Rhodes and DiBiase attacked Crime Time and reclaimed their belts. So, there we go, and here we are. All right, Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler pop in to call this match. Crime Time come out. Rhodes and DiBiase are in with their titles, growing as champions, and we've had some fresh blood into the division, which is good. Crime Time mm. get off to a hot start after the champion stall, mowing them down and cleaning up the ring. Shad presses JTG over the top into the champions at a big bump. Crime Time's pretty dominant here. They use their power and double-team offense, keeping DiBiase and Rhodes in the shine box. The champs finally get an opening on the floor. They use some trickery to take out JTG, take over the match. Back inside, they grind away on JTG, working the arm, trying to slow things down and regroup along the way. King asks Cole why he talks so much and tells him to enjoy the match, which was, was pretty funny. <laughs> As the champions stay on the offensive, the crowd is sticking with it, too. The champs start to ebb into more covers, but J JTG stays alive. Pretty classic heat segment here. We get a frustrated Shad trying to push into it. JTG finds an opening, drags himself over to Shad and makes a tag. Shad comes in and cleans house on both champions to a pop. Things break down. We get all four brawling. JTG ends up getting a small package on Rhodes, but DiBiase falls back from a Shad punch and shoves Rhodes on top for the win on the way down. Crime Time shoved the champions after, and then someone comes from the back and cleans Crime Time out. We don't really get any info on him just yet, but it's a third member of their unit now. It looks like DiBiase and Rhodes. Fun little match. I thought it was well worked. It built nicely through the formula. Uh, pretty good choice to have DiBiase and Rhodes retain. I thought Crime Time looked good. They got a lot of shine, but it's too quick to take the belts off the young guys. A uh, good finish, a clean match, in addition to the crew at the end. Uh, and the tag division is getting younger and more athletic, which is a good direction, Grooney. I went two and three quarters on this match. Um, I went two and a half. Um, I said nice double team moves by both uh, by both uh, by both teams. And, uh, you know, nice crossbody uh, by uh, JTG, JTG can do um, good good uh, crossbodies. And, uh, you know, that was a nice uh, double clothesline by uh, Shad and JTG as well. So uh, two and a half. Uh, it was fun. A uh, little, uh, little interesting way that it's like, oh, we just got to change it, flip it, flip them over. And uh, the uh, Rhodes and DiBiase are uh, still your champion. So an interesting uh Interesting uh, finish there. Uh, yes, I gave this match two and a half. Uh, it was okay. It wasn't, you know, the greatest thing on the planet, but it wasn't bad. Your match time, uh, 11.35. And uh, I know they're obviously trying to elevate uh, uh, Rhodes and DiBiase. You're, you're curious at this time, even though they're both uh, obviously sons of legends uh or actually in both cases uh, one is a hall of famer one is not yet but will be um you always you're, you're trying to watch it and you think to yourself which of these guys is ahead of the curve like who's at the time i mean knowing what we know now uh you don't just jump out and say cody rhodes is clearly the star no nah, not really <clears throat> this isn't sean and marty in this case mm -hmm. you're you're you know they're very even at this point 
But they were good. They were a good team. You know, frat boy douches, you know, fit with Orton because that's what he was, you know, five years earlier. Um, and Crime Time, I just loved. I'm a big Crime Time fan. And they were fun to watch. They were a good, um, they were a good team for that time. Uh, glad they didn't get the belts, though, because you need to keep them on Rhodes and DiBiase uh, to keep that little group going. Um, I won't mention uh, who ran out at the end, but he uh, fit the mold of Hall of Fame son. Uh, so we'll get to that down the line, but uh, it fit and it, they needed to build a little bit. So I had no problem with it, but not a terrible match, you know, nothing amazing, but, but solid enough for both of them. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. All right. We see Shawn Michaels getting taped up backstage and that brings us to a video package for our next match, which is another installment in the war between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. Scott, what's uh, gone down since the SummerSlam showdown that uh, ended with an unfortunate punch? Hmm. Uh, yes. Well, speaking of, the night after on the 818 Raw, Jericho refused to apologize for what happened to Rebecca as he said that it was Michaels and the fans' fault for what happened. And later that night, Michaels did an interview as he said he was going home to take care of his family before coming back for revenge. The next week on 825, Michaels cut a promo as he tried to believe that Jericho's actions was an accident until Jericho said what he did last week. And he said that he was not going to leave as he had teased and Jericho would appear on the Titantron. Michael said that if he did what he wanted to do to Jericho outside of wrestling, he would be in jail. And he offered to sign any document necessary to get a match. Jericho would agree to a non-sanctioned match and told Michaels not to have his wife or kids watch or Mike and Michaels vowed that he would get revenge and threatened an eye for an eye. Finally, on the 9-1 Raw, two men signed the contract for the match and traded barbs. As Jericho said, he told his family he would never be self-obsessed like Michaels and he would put him out of his misery. Michael said that he would not apologize for the life he has lived and would have no regrets for what he would do. To Jericho. The two men nearly came to blows until Cade got involved and Michaels would take him out before standing over him while Jericho watched. During the brawl with Cade, Michaels would suffer a small tear to his left triceps. So Sean coming in a little gimpy into this match, but as we will see, didn't matter. All right, so it's been a killer one. <clears throat> a tremendous stipulation in place for this match here between them. Two guys in a blood feud that want to destroy each other for good. Jericho saunters out, focuses his laser beam eyes. Crowd's already buzzing. Big pop for Sean. He comes out slowly in a street clothes. No dancing, no glips. His torn tricep is taped up. Sean dives at Jericho off the bell. We are right at it with a hot flurry of punches and scrapping. Sean smashes Jericho with his boot, beats on him in and out of the ring as Jericho's nose is already bleeding. Jericho slows him down to the floor and DDTs him, then pulls out a table and spikes it on his back. Jericho sets the table up and tries to powerbomb him as Sean slugs away. So Jericho drops him face first on the edge of the ring. Jericho keeps the pressure on back in the ring, clubbing and choking Sean as a crowd chants for him. Sean counters a whip and sends Jericho to the post. We get some back and forth as both guys are worn down. Sean gets infuriated and just starts choking Jericho like a maniac in a great spot. Then he hits the top rope elbow and sets up sweet chin music, but Jericho drops to his knees. So Sean stops and just punches him in the head instead. Sean goes to the cross face and cranks away. Jericho is able to run him into a chair he'd set up earlier and Sean starts to hold his eye. 
Jericho attacks the eye, punching and raking at it. Sean tries to punch back, but takes a hard bump to the corner. He no-sells, comes punching back again. He's completely possessed here. Jericho counters a slingshot into the walls, but Sean hangs on, grabs a fire extinguisher, and blasts Jericho in the eyes with it. Sean lays the wood to Jericho in the aisle, including a hard suplex on the steel grating. Lance Cade comes out, but Sean fights him off. Cade kicks him in the injured arm and loves him with a clothesline. Cade then hits a knee drop to the torn tricep, or I'm sorry, uh, drives the torn tricep into the post with his knee. Cade gets in the ring, and he and Jericho work together to slap Sean around and beat on the arm, including trying to pilmanize it. Sean finally breaks free and hits switching music on Cade. Sean mashes Jericho with a chair. He tumbles off the top to a table at ringside. Sean beats the shadow Jericho with a vicious one-arm chair shots as he screams out in pain. Sean piles Jericho and Cade onto the announce table and buries him with the top rope elbow to a big pop. Back in the ring, Sean pulls his belt off and whips the shit out of the bloody Jericho's back, hooks him his arm, and then punches him over and over the head until the ref breaks it up. Sean stops, and then he goes right back to it until the ref finally calls to the bell to stop the match. The crowd boos at first, thinking Sean was disqualified, but then they pop when it's revealed that Sean won due to ref stoppage in a fantastic finish. Sean starts to shake, and he starts to cry a little bit, and then his beast of shadow Jericho some more as the crowd revs him up. Sean then super kicks the ref, stands in shock as more officials and trainers come out to try and wake up and move Jericho from the ring. Uh, this holds up wonderfully. It's an awesome match. It's brutal. It's filled with hate. It's real. Sean's arm selling was so good. Alternated with bursts of rage filled offense. Jericho is brutal as well, trying to use his mind control stuff. Uh, continuing to use Cade to do his dirty work as well. A long match, but the crowd hung in with them. Sean has been terrorized this whole feud, but he escapes here with a little bit of revenge and a torn up arm. Jericho gets his punishment that he's been doomed, well-deserved. Just a great brutal street, street fight with some big spots mixed into some vicious weapons attacks. Sky had him going four and a half on this, and it's a, it's a real gem. Uh, I, I got to be honest. Uh, I can't remember. I'll have to look at our, our, uh, um, our scorecard. I can't remember off the top of my head since we re- since we came back to this timeline at Backlash 07. I can't remember the last five star match I did, but damn it, this came pretty close. I gave it four and three quarters, twenty six fifty three your match time, and it was worth every second mm-hmm. of it. This this uh, match I feel gets forgotten in the annals. Of this feud, I think a lot of people think about the bash one and the one we're going to talk about in two weeks. Um, I feel like this one gets forgotten, and it shouldn't be. This match is amazing, mm-hmm. and you've got two guys here. I mean, you know, we talk about a guy, uh, Jr., that we will talk about down the line that Sean will have a match with. Oh, probably about seven and a half months from now. Um, that many consider the greatest of all time because of two guys who know how to tell a story. Let's not discount Chris Jericho knowing how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is just a smarmy fucking self-righteous prick that accuses Sean of being a smarmy self-righteous prick. And it's just, it's not often that you get to see Sean in this, level of being the aggressor because Sean's rarely the aggressor in feuds very rarely this aggressive but he was not he was not going to stand for it and and I said that we said this at uh, on the SummerSlam show kudos to Rebecca for eating that that knuckle sandwich and get a legit puffed lip because that makes this even more 
aggressive in terms of Sean's tactics. I mean, he is just absolutely destroying Jericho. It's very reminiscent of Sean taking it from Taker at Bad Blood 97. I mean, Jericho's just getting destroyed. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you have Cade and Jericho. Jericho gets... I think we knew all along, once it said unsanctioned, I think we knew all along that that Jericho, that Sean was probably going to win this match because he always wins these kind of matches. And I, I just, it is definitely the vet, the last vest. If we're going to get the last vestige of the ruthless aggression era before we dive into the 14 years, damn it, we're getting, we're getting our money's worth because you can't, yeah. this feud. you can't fucking PG this feud. Not at all. Yeah. No, I mean, and many have always said like, it's, they feel like maybe this is the last feud of, you know, that era, right? It's kind of the final right. um, um, final feud of, of with those vibes of that before we go to PG. Yeah, exactly. Gruny, this is a gem. Uh, I, I was this close, and I have my finger and my thumb very close together to giving this five stars, but I gave it four and three quarters, but it's very, very close. Yeah, I gave this I gave this four quarters, um, four stars, four quarters, <laughs> four stars. You gave it a dollar. Um, yeah, I gave it a dollar, <laughs> four quarters. Um, gave it four stars. Um, the the like this feud going all the way back to like what you said the America the Great American Bash the punch and everything. Um, it just was building up, and Shawn Michaels looked. Like from this promo, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna like he showed no mercy, and that uh, fire extinguisher uh, counter was was great, where he like get gets grabs the fire extinguisher and sprays Jericho. An incredible dive from the top rope, and Sean just brutally beating up Jericho. Like Jericho was like paying for everything. It, it reminded me a lot of the uh, two blood, the Mr. McMahon WrestleMania 22 match, uh, because like you know Vince mm-hmm. paid during that match as well, and Jericho paid here. So four stars here. All right, we go back to the locker room where Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase are recovering with the new running buddy. Orton comes in and glares at them. Rhodes tells them they made a statement and introduces Orton to Manu, son of Afa, the Wild Samoan. He recognizes their true talent and respects it. Manu says, you can't knock these guys. And DiBiase asks Orton, he impressed. Orton says he only can say congrats, but says they had dumb luck and stole the win. Crime time learned on the streets, but they have natural ability. And tells Orton to watch the match again and decide why they think they should be proud. Or maybe they should just go celebrate like they accomplished something. He says, luck will run out, but talent goes forever. And Orton says he's still not impressed. So pretty good stuff here as Rhodes and DiBiase continue to try to win over Orton. But he's being a very tough grader to them consistently. JR and Taz reset us and thank Motorhead and then calls uh, for our song tonight and calls up for votes yet again for our poll. And that brings us to our second scramble match of the night is for the WWE Heavyweight Championship featuring Triple H, Jeff Hardy, MVP, Shelton Benjamin, and the Brian Kendrick fighting over the gold. Scott, how did we matriculate our way to this match? Well, uh, JR, speaking of Brian Kendrick, uh, since being drafted to SmackDown, he would turn heel, undergo a character change as he became more arrogant and cocky to the point that he began referring to himself as the Brian Kendrick. On the 718 SmackDown, he would debut a new bodyguard named Big Zeke, Ezekiel Jackson, 
who had signed in 2007 and spent a year in FCW before coming up to the main roster. Ezekiel Jackson. Yes. On the 822 SmackDown, Vicky Guerrero announced that the WWE title would be defended in a championship scramble at the pay-per-view, and there would be qualifying matches that night. In the qualifying matches, Kendrick won an 11-man battle royal. MVP would beat Festus. Benjamin would defeat Finlay. And Jeff would defeat the great Kali and Triple H would cut a promo on facing the four men at the pay-per-view. On the 829 SmackDown, Jeff defeated MVP in a match only for Benjamin to lay both men out. Later that night, Kendrick would cut a promo on the scramble. At the end of the night, Triple H defeated Benjamin only for Benjamin to hit him with the U.S. title and left ringside as Kali distracted Triple or as Kali attacked Triple H. On the 9-4 SmackDown, the five men confronted each other at the start of the show, which led to a brawl. And later that night, Benjamin defeated MVP in a non-title match, and Kendrick defeated Jeff. Triple H would cut a promo on his match when Jeff interrupted him and said he was Triple H's biggest problem at Unforgiven. And Triple H reminded Jeff that he had two strikes and would be out if he got one more. At the end of the night, Triple H defeated Kali in a Lumberjack match with the scramble participants being the Lumberjacks. And a brawl broke out with Triple H and Jeff standing tall until Jeff gave Triple H the twist of fate. I enjoy the storytelling in these uh in the stretch of uh, shows, mm-hmm. and here we are. Scramble time again. Smackdown time. Another shot for Jeff Hardy. Dances out to start the match. Shelton gets the second draw. A pretty fun match on paper to get us going here. <clears throat> Good balance start gets going. As JR and Taz run down the credentials of both guys, we get a mix of feeling out. We get some grinding control holds and some nice reversals that they keep the pace steady. The Brian Kendrick saunters out next with Zeke behind him. Big chance for him as he's reestablished on SmackDown. Jar reminds us this is Kendrick's first ever WWE title match. We get some back and forth. Hardy ends up getting the pin on Kendrick after a powerbomb to become champion. Hardy then knocks Kendrick outside. He knifes through Shelton. Still a lot of time left. So he's going to stay aggressive. Can't just settle and play defense yet. Kendrick comes roaring back into the ring. Takes out Hardy with sliced bread. And the Brian Kendrick wins the world title. It has a wonderful celebration. Pretty fun moment. MVP's out next, and it's a great shot for him to take the big gold. It's been a fantastic 18 months for him. He aggressively batters the new champion. MVP tries to drive by on Shelton, but Kendrick steps in, crushes him with a leg lariat. Kendrick does his best to prevent every pin cover. He's fending guys off, but Shelton hits him with a Samoan drop. Kendrick heats back up and looks awesome here as he's controlling the match, flying everywhere with quick strikes, keeping this grip on the belt. In comes Triple H. He's our final entrant. He's looking to take his gold back with five minutes to go. He cleans house as he enters, dodging all attackers, lining up Kendrick for the pedigree, and wins his gold back to a pop. Shelton then wipes out Hunter on the floor, and Jeff hits a twist of fate on MVP. Now he wins the belt. Hardy fights off Kendrick. He goes up top, but Hunter crotches him. Hunter pedigrees Kendrick to win it back, but Hardy comes right back. It's a swanton on Kendrick. He wins the title with 90 seconds left. Hardy's scrapping and dumping Hunter outside. He flies into him with a plancha. Shelton, MVP, and Kendrick all go out as well with less than a minute left. We get a fun tower spot with everybody. Hardy comes in and goes wild in the ring, taking out all three. But alas, with 10 seconds left, Hunter hits the pedigree on MVP and wins the match just as Hardy tries to cover Shelton on the other side of the ring. That was pretty well-timed and executed. And Hardy and Hunter show some respect to each other after the match as Hardy comes up just short yet again. Uh, fun match. This concept continues to work. Not as engaging, I thought, as the opener, but still quick moving. And the spotlight was there for some guys that don't normally get it. Kendrick was awesome in this whole match. Really made it count for him. I thought Jeff looked good, too. But for right now, Hunter's still on top of the mountain. But Hardy's knocking on the door. Uh, Grudy, this is a pretty good match. Again, a nice finish. I went three and a half stars. 
Um, I went through, I went, um, two and I, I'm sorry. I went two and three quarters actually on this one. Um, it was good, but like, I feel like the SmackDown side, it was lacking a little bit with like roster, you know, like I like, I like Triple H and Jeff Hardy are like your main two, uh, like baby faces. Uh, you know, I, I like the MVP and like a little bit of Shelton. I think the odd man now is kind of the Brian Kendrick. But um, but I guess it did work. Um, I also wanted to ask you guys: Do you guys think that like all all five should have been in there for the twenty minutes and like pin pin each other like all that, or should they have gone in intervals like with every man coming out in five minutes? Um, I Sorry. I thought it was fine. I thought it yeah. was fine the way it was. I thought it was fine the way it was. I, I didn't. It was definitely different. I, I think the only thing that bothered me was just how they. It's still unclear to me. Like, were these guys winning during the match actual champions? Um, were not. Like, I, I guess that that part was always a little confusing to me. The way they did it when they said, like, "And now, here's your champion." I think it should have been more like they're not champion, but if when the match ends, they would be. And I, that's kind of how they explained it. In the in the rule explanation, um, but right. in the moment, it feels more and more like they're acting like as each guy gets the pin, they're actually champion. Yeah, and um, I I thought that this one this was the better of the three because of the uh, the, the the ending where it's like you know. Hardy gets the belt and then Triple H gets the belt and then Hardy sneaks in with the Swanton to get the pin. Then he's got to hold on for 90 seconds. And then in the end, Triple H does the pedigree one, two, three. So he becomes champion and then Hardy tries, but then time expires. So this one was my favorite here. I like this one the best. Uh, I like this one. Uh, I still think the ECW one was slightly better. I gave this one three and a half, uh, half star less than the ECW one. Obviously, it was he's been twenty minutes. I don't want to say it was predictable. I I didn't think they were gonna. I, obviously, we are building to eventually at some point. Uh, they're not gonna invest all this time in in Jeff Hardy if they didn't think he was gonna be that he was gonna win the belt at some point. I didn't see it happening here. I, I even though a lot of people were probably like, well, you know, Triple H doesn't have to get pinned then, uh, but that, you know. Um and I think that this was more about Triple H. I agree with you, Gurney, that this was mostly about Triple H and Matt Har- and Jeff Hardy, and then the other guys were just but I enjoyed seeing Kendrick. I was a big Kendrick. I liked him, I liked his character at that time. I was very uh I was I was entertained by him. I liked his theme. I like how he just kind of did that swagger to the ring with the leather jacket. I liked his character, and I was glad he was in this match. I thought it was I thought it was pretty great. Um, I'm also liking. <clears throat> excuse me. On a side note, I also liked um, uh, MVP's advancement because now MVP is kind of Jr. Mm-hmm. And you and I have been crazy about MVP throughout our 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 returning to the timeline. Um, I'm kind of liking. Because I think the fans started to dig him after a while. So this is kind of like a heel, cool enough heel to be a face. And I feel like he's kind of turning the corner. And we'll get more into this uh, in two weeks on our next show. 
But I, I enjoyed watching him in this match just as much as anybody else. But but Gurney's right. It is pretty much about Jeff Hardy and Triple H and what ha- and, and who's going to sneak it out. And I think we all kind of knew Triple H was going to. I just it was booked perfectly in the sense that the timing was right. It wasn't botched. It literally Triple H got the three count at 1959. Literally. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they timed it perfectly. So I enjoyed the match. I still think I still liked the ECW one a little better, but it did it did highlight the fact that Jeff Hardy is this close. Right. And uh and I I just love the advancement of, of MVP's character. Those are my highlights of this match. Yeah, I agree. I mean Hunter's reign has been very good and it's continuing mm-hmm. on. And if Hardy is going to win, I I think in this format isn't the way to do it, right? I think I think no. you'd want to see it in more of a straight format where he, he really earns it. I think wouldn't have earned it here, but it's just different. I thought Kendrick was a standout. MVP's interesting because yeah, we've loved him and he was good here, but like where's he going next, right? That'll be the big question for him. So we'll see. Hmm. All right, Todd Grisham's with Shawn Michaels. He's solemn. He says it's the first pay-per-view in three months where he didn't end up in the hospital. And he's gonna fly home and set, spend the night with his family and says he would do this to Jericho every night of his life if he could. Jericho woke something up inside of him that may not be controllable, and the worst is yet to come. Eve Torres with CM Punk talks about the tough odds tonight. In comes Randy Orton. They go back and forth for a bit. As Punk answers back, DiBiase, uh, Rhodes, and Manu come in and beat him down, uh, beat down Punk until Kofi Kingston makes a save, but he gets beat up as well. Orton ends up coming in and punting Punk in the head, knocking him out, and Orton tells the young guys, now that was impressive. So more on that in a moment. But before we get there, we have our women's title uh, Divas Championship match, and that is Michelle McCool taking on Maurice Scott. Uh, how do we get to this match? Uh, well, uh, let me tell you. Uh, on the 822 SmackDown, Maurice attacked Maria uh, during a match against Natalia until McCool made the save. On the 829 SmackDown, uh, Maurice interrupted McCool's photo shoot and said that she wouldn't be champion for much longer. And later that night, Maurice and Natalia defeated McCool and Maria in a tag. And on the 9-4 SmackDown, this match was made and Maurice would defeat Maria as she had a confrontation with McCool after the match on the stage. So pretty straightforward. All right. Out comes Maurice. A pretty big spot for her suddenly on pay-per-view. See if she's ready. Michelle comes out to some silence. Overall, the division continues on with fresh faces. We slowly edge into some match positions, working the arm, clearly taking their time to hit spots. The crowd starts some boring chants within a couple minutes, which is kind of harsh. They spill back outside. Michelle yeah. hits a solid clothesline off the barricade, heads back in. Again, tough slot for them. There's no heat. They're learning on the fly. Maurice takes a knee out and works the leg, staying aggressive. Michelle counters, but now she goes to the leg, gets a heel hook, but Maurice gets the ropes. We go on a bit long here as Maurice ambles through her offense. The crowd keeps turning on them. Michelle finally hits a big boot and finishes with the Falcon arrow. Pretty standard stuff. Uh, I guess what you'd expect. It's not on them. They're just not ready for this. But they're putting them out there. They're throwing them into the deep end. Uh, nothing was botched or bad. It was just slow. You could see them walking through. Like the confidence and smoothness isn't there. They just kind of, you could tell that they're thinking as it's going. And Michelle as champion's fine, but I think we need veterans against her to help her lead through the matches. I think the problem is putting two kind of green workers in there together and expecting something more. So I want to start in three quarters. I, I like where both are headed and the division's headed. I just think they should be possession uh, positioned separately versus paired up, Scott. Uh, yeah, uh, this was uh, a little rough. Uh, mm-hmm. 542 your match time. So at least they didn't 
They didn't kill you in terms of length. Uh, I gave it a star and a half. Uh, I mean, this this was they're not ready for prime time. Um, at the time, I remember being, and it had nothing to do with the belt, the way it looked, and the butterflies and the toy. I, I had nothing no. to do with it. But I feel like the SmackDown side was just a little thin, where a title was probably not necessary yet. Um, I'd have been fine with uh, Beth Phoenix, who is our women's champion on the other show, uh, bouncing back and forth. I think that would have been fine. Um, and kind of consolidated the women until they started to kind of get themselves in a groove. Uh, because this is just not, this is just not pretty. <laughs> it's not. Um, and, and what's good is these two would both get better over the next, you know, three, four years. But this show, they are green. As uh, Steve Austin would say in his podcast, green is grass, which I, which I quote a lot when it comes to people like this, because it's the truth. Um, not quite there. They tried and they would get better, but I agree with you. You got to have each of them in here with someone with some more chops. Neither of them have any chops yet. And it showed Gurney, but I mean, they gave it their all, but they, they were woefully short. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I gave this a star and a quarter. Um, just, uh, two green workers. And, um, you know, it felt like for the fans, it was time to, Go to the bathroom and at this uh, session. This might have been the let me up of the night. Poor Maurice, or Maurice, as Michael Cole would say. We'll <laughs> um, see if they continue to grow here, and it'd be interesting the future of the of the women's divisions, um, because again, it's it's a pretty big turnover, just like the tag divisions. We're seeing a lot of roster turnover, really, uh, up mm. and down. So. All right, Jim Ross and Taz reveal the poll results. They say 77% believe Vicky Guerrero made the right call with Big Show. Mike Adamley comes out of the ramp, and it says it appears that CM Punk cannot compete tonight. And if so, we'll have no alternative but to find a suitable replacement. But the match will take place. The crowd is not a fan of this, so we'll see what happens. Out comes the Big Show. He says if Adamley needs a replacement for Punk, he'd be happy to do so. And he shouldn't overlook Show like Vicky did. Show tells the fans to smack down their vote. He asked the live crowd if they would support him, and we get a mixed reaction. But he thanks the fans. Before he can leave, out comes Vicky Guerrero, and she asks Show if he doesn't understand English or if he just ignores it. She told him not to create a disruption tonight or he'll be suspended and fined. Vicky thinks he's a big, dumb giant and tells him to back down. He kind of bows up, and he had his chances, but now he'll have to deal with the circumstances, and she tells him to go away. Before they finish, we get the Druids chanting, the lights dim, and Big Show starts to laugh because he knows what's about to happen to Vicky. The Druids appear and wheel a casket down, and The Undertaker appears on the screen. Says he promised he was coming tonight for Vicky and promised her the coffin would be her resting place. He asked if Vicky will go voluntarily or force him to come to the ring, choke her out, and put her in there. <clears throat> Show holds Vicky in the ring. As the gong hits, Undertaker comes out to a pop. Vicky tries to escape, but Show drags her back to the ring. Taker opens a casket, steps inside, and grabs Vicky by the throat. But as he does, Big Show punches Taker in the face and then beats the shit out of him. In and around ringside as Vicky watches. This goes on for a while, but it's all show. Show holds Taker up and Vicky slaps him. And that's that. Uh, this is a good segment. I, I think it was a little too long. I don't think we need all the theatrics and slow play. Like Taker could have just come out. Uh, I know the crowd loved him, but it really slowed the flow of the show. Um, especially after the women's match kind of dragged. Like I didn't think we needed as long of a play out here. Uh, but Grooney, I thought this was a pretty good segment all in, and it's kind of a repositioning, yet again, a big show, into also yet again, another big show, Undertaker feud. 
Yeah, I certainly thought that uh, Vicky Guerrero was going in that casket. Like I thought Big Show was going to be uh, the baby face here. But once again, the Big Show goes heel. So we're on to another uh, Undertaker versus Big Show feud. This seems so uh, tired. <laughs> you know, I just uh, I, I did not like this at all. I, I just think this feud is so tired. Uh, this seems like such a taker has nothing better to do feud. Um, I just, I don't know. After having such a great feud with Edge throughout most of the year, um, this is, just seems so tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't crazy about it. The fact it was long and, and burdensome, but I'm thinking, oh, God, we're going to get a series of taker big show matches. Uh, nah. <laughs> I, I wasn't crazy about it. Wasn't sh- I was shuddering to think what was coming ahead. <laughs> well, we'll see. So. All right, we got a recap of Orton's surprise return to Raw recently. He's disparaging CM Punk as champion and then the attack from earlier. Backstage, William Regal pleads his case to Mike Adamley. He wants to take Punk's slot. Reminds Adamley that he beat Punk to win the King of the Ring recently. Adamley says there's a chance for Punk. Uh, makes it to the match, but he'll think it over. Uh, so, Scott, that brings us to our main event, which is the Raw scramble for the World Heavyweight title featuring Batista, Rey Mysterio, John Bradshaw Layfield, Kane, and Chris Jericho. And how did we get here? Well, on the um, 818 Raw, John Cena and Batista met backstage. And Cena said the better man won and the two would shake hands. And later that night, Mike Adamley would come out and announce the championship scramble as he announced Punk would face Cena, Batista, JBL, and Kane in the match. Also that night, Kane would reveal the contents of his bag, which was one of Mysterio's masks. Uh, and he questioned if Mysterio was alive or dead until Batista came out and the two brawled. In the main event of the show, Jericho would defeat Punk clean in a non-title match. On the 825 Raw, Adam Lee revealed that Cena suffered an injury at SummerSlam and wouldn't be able to compete at Unforgiven. As we talked about earlier, he had the neck injury. As he announced Mysterio would be his replacement and Kane would cut a backstage promo saying what Batista did to Cena at SummerSlam was nothing compared to what he did to Mysterio. Later that night, Punk would defeat JBL and Batista defeated Kane by DQ when Kane used a chair only for Batista to assault Kane with the chair. On the 9-1 Raw, Randy Orton came out and ran down the champions, specifically Punk, and vowed to take his title when he was cleared to wrestle, and Punk would respond by poking fun of Orton getting in a motorcycle accident. Uh, That was interesting. Uh, After Orton left, JBL, Kane, and Batista would all come out, and the four men brawled with Batista standing tall. In the main event, Kane won a four-man battle royal, and Punk confronted Orton at ringside, and Mysterio would make a surprise appearance as he attacked Kane. And uh, here we are. All right, it is main event time, our final scramble of the evening. We've had some mystery wrapped up in it now with the Punk incident. Batista's out first to a massive pop as usual. Out comes JBL next. He's angry and focused. We start with some heavy Batista offense. He's bullying JBL around, but JBL slows him down with a sleeper. Batista fights free, starts to work the leg, including a figure four that gets some woos. JBL breaks that up and unloads punches as he knocks Batista to the floor. The crowd is rallying Batista as JBL slugging away outside. Kane is out third. We get some more of the hard Haas strikes, big punches, and kicks as Kane takes over Batista while JBL recovers. Kane continues to work his offense, hitting a side slam going up top, but misses a clothesline. However, he's up first and goes for a choke slam, but Batista fights free. JBL breaks up a Batista bomb attempt, but Kane plants him with a choke slam to win the belt. Ray Mysterio is out next. He goes right at Kane, but Kane slaps him down. Ray starts to use his speed and picks apart Kane's knee. 
Ray keeps bringing the speed and heat to everyone in there, finally bringing the pace of the match up overall. Batista finally recovers and comes and helps Ray. They work together with a rocket launcher on Kane, but Batista takes the pin. However, Kane kicks out. Batista and Ray finally come to odds and argue, allowing JBL to come back and take both out, take control of the match. The countdown hits, and our replacement for CM Punk comes out, and it is Chris Jericho. Everyone is shocked as Jericho looks to be completely on death's doorstep. He's barely able to walk. He's got marks all over his back, blood on his face. He's in pain. Batista crunches Mysterio with a spear and then hits one on Jericho, then gets one on JBL. JBL gets his foot on the rope, and all four start to hit some big spots, but nobody can finish. The heavy bombs are flowing as we dip under two minutes. Poor Batista can't even get a pin in this match. <laughs> Everyone's getting a title but him. Kane is still the champion. He's on offense as Batista's in full control with 90 seconds to go. Kane loads up a choke slam. We go under a minute, but Batista flies in and spears him, hits a spine buster, and wins the belt finally. Only Kane remains in the ring. Batista stalks around. He's trying to run the clock out. And then Mysterio flies in and dives into Batista. Batista catches him and power bombs him. But as that happens, in comes Jericho. He covers Kane and wins the title as time runs out. Batista is in shock. He's broken as Jericho celebrates and leaves the night an unlikely champion. This is a great finish to a kind of a decent average match. It was a slow pace. It never really had that hot stretch that the other ones had. Uh, Ray just needed someone else to really fly with. I think that was the mistake here. Batista's snap offense is always good. Uh, and the finish was great. Like, it was perfect to end the night with Jericho somehow sneaking out the title after the shit-kicking. Position Sean as the number one contender. You know, Jericho's earned this. Uh, Batista's shock reaction because he had it won. And his friend and basically cost him because it, it took his eyes off Kane for that one second. And that's that. Um that was a good closeout to uh, the the show and the match. So Scott went two and a half after the match was kind of okay, but the moment was was really well done. It was uh, the match. Uh, obviously, your time twenty minutes even. Uh, I gave this two and three quarters. Uh, it was okay. Uh, you had a lot of lumbering guys in there. Uh, I think the Jericho swap at the end saved it from being kind of a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, uh, the, it is the, uh, lowest rated of the three scramble matches yeah. for me. Um, but it was, uh, it was okay. Um, Jericho winning was actually really cool that he's all fucking banged up. I mean, he looked like, I mean, he looked wrecked and snuck in, got the cheat pin at the end. Very Jericho. I liked the turn of giving him the ball and running with it. It was kind of a good transition. Somebody different. Um, and trust me, I don't feel bad for Batista since he's gotten like 37 title shots in the last year. So <laughs> I'm okay with that. And I love Batista, but you know, I'm all right with it. But, uh, I, I love the, the, the move to Jericho. I think it's, I think it's a good change of pace considering what happened earlier in the night it seems to always fit. Anytime a guy loses, anytime you have an opening in a main event for a title and a, and a hot heel gets the shit kicked out of him earlier in the show, he seems to always come out and steal something. And that's a very edgy thing to do. Um, and we'll see him do that again down the line. But uh, I, 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 I like the match. I didn't love it, but Gurney, I was, I was happy for Jericho because he earned the the shot. Now it's his first world title in, oh Christ, seven years. So, yep. uh, you know, so he uh, six years, I guess if you count, yeah, six years, um, over six years. But he earned it, and this is a nice spot for him. Yeah, um, on the match, I went two. I went two stars. Um, not the best uh, championship scramble. Too many, 
I felt like there were like too many big men, and I felt like Kane held on to the title like for too long, like too many intervals uh, until like the last like five minutes or so. Um, I found it funny when Kane pins Batista who tries to pin Batista, but he's the champ. It's like, well, that doesn't count. I mean, you know, he's already the champ. He doesn't have to pin anybody. And when Jericho came out, I was like, there's no way. Like, how is he? Because not even Chris Jericho, the wrestler, Chris Jericho, the the man, like the mm-hmm. man in those boots, like there's no way he, I can't, I can't imagine him getting that, that stiff beating and him just being like, yeah, I can do this. I'm going to go win the championship. It's like, no way, dude, you have to like lie down. Like you can't do this. Like I was surprised that his body could even like go and do that after the beating he took from Shawn Michaels. It it astonishes me. Yeah. It was Um, super impressive for sure. Yeah. Very great uh, finish to the, the good, good finish though to the match. And, Letting Jericho steal one after uh, the beating, he really got the last laugh here. I think it was also the um, only option to go with if you're going to do that punk story and take him out was to do this. Like I, I don't think anything else really works there without really pissing off the crowd. So I think it was a good offset to taking the bell. Obviously, Punk's reign is over. This first reign, I mean, it was kind of just okay. He was never really the priority. He had some good matches, but it was clearly, um, you know, they didn't have a lot of faith in him to be the top guy right now. And it's not say he didn't deserve to reset, but, you know, Jericho has been doing the best work on Raw by far since April. So I'm okay with the decision to put the belt on him. Yeah, I remember, like, when he um, did the cash in, like, that was probably the biggest pop ever. And then it was sort of hokey pokey with the title. It was like, Okay, like you know, he had matches with Batista with for the with the title on the line, and he would like win. That was because of interference by Kane, you know, in the summer. So I think this was good. It was like, hey, you know, you're not there yet, but we'll get you there eventually. But uh, right. it was good to see the cash in at least. All right, let's get to our awards here. To wrap up the night. Um, MVP. I, I think this is one of the more obvious ones. At least I felt this way, and. That it's uh, Chris Jericho. Yes. Great match early and clutch win at the end. Yes, I agree. Uh, Yeah, I'll go uh, MVP uh, Chris Jericho as well. Hey, LVP, I ended up going with Punk. Like, it's such a weird ending to his reign. He's knocked out of the show. He's supposed to be in the main event as champion. He feels like such an afterthought. Maybe it'll lead to a hot feud with Orton. We'll see. But for right now, I felt like he was kind of the big loser on the night to me. Well, we obviously don't know what's going on, but we eventually know what's going on uh, with everything with him. And I'm sure the the motorcycle accident crack on Raw didn't help matters. But, uh, yeah, he he definitely got uh, punished on this night. I don't think there's any question. Big time. Yeah, I would say so. So uh, Punk will be the LVP. I mean, yeah, uh, because like, you know, he basically like he doesn't even get to like wrestle, you know, he's just taken out. So it's a, it's a little bit of a damper on uh, Punk that we don't get to see like if he would have survived the championship scramble here. 
All right, uh, match of the night. Uh, again, I think fairly obvious. Uh, Michael uh, yeah. and Jericho. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep, okay. yep it is. Uh, worst match again. I'm, I hate to blame them. Like it's not really their fault, but it's obviously Maurice and Michelle. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. It is a shame. All right. Best moment. I went with um, Michael's punching Jericho unconscious. Like that was such a cathartic moment in that feud. The visceral, like you know, pouring out of emotion by Michaels as he's just pounding the crap out of him and wins. The crowd pop when they realize what happened is great. So that just really stood out to me as the the best. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all about that match in that aspect in terms of just emotion and yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I would say that that is the uh, the best moment of the match. Um. I mean, or the best moment of the show is when, uh, you know, Chris Jericho, I mean, Shawn Michaels just beating Jericho to a pulp. You could have also went with, um, you know, the sequence of uh, the SmackDown, the ending of the SmackDown um, championship scramble match, like where, you know, Triple H gets his finish. Jeff Hardy goes back and forth Mm -hmm. between those two. Um, But uh, it was a close one for me. Yeah, but I would go with uh, Shawn Michaels beating the crap out of Jericho. All right, see so if we can make a clean sweep then, a rare clean sweep for all the awards. Surprise of the night. Again, I think this one's pretty obvious. It's, it's going to be Jericho winning the world title at the end of the show. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, there's no doubt about it. Yes, it is. Okay. All right, you know, 08 has been so good. Like, we've had a lot of great shows. Everything is pretty much, for the most part, been six and a half to seven and a half, eight for us consistently, just every month, uh, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. The shows are tight. You know, we don't overdo with the matches. We have at least one great match every show. We have a big angle every show. Lots of stars. Just everything seems to have been aligned during this pay-per-view year for sure. Uh, so just like SummerSlam, I went seven and a half on this show. Yeah, I mean, you look at the grades, and they pretty much like any of, of the other shows we've had. We got one, you know, bona fide four, almost five-star gem, couple of threes, a two, maybe one stinker. Uh, I, I'm going to go right in line with you, sir. I'm going to go seven and a half myself. This is actually a really fun show to watch. The, the taker stuff was a little slow and plodding, but that's all right. Mm-hmm. You get through it, but the in-ring is really good. Sean Jericho again is a, is a gem. The shock at the end is great. It's the triple H Hardy byplay in there. at scramble match was fun. It was just a fun show to watch. Yeah. So where did you go? I'm sorry. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. Just like you. Uh, yeah, I'm up there with you. Um, I would say that it's a solid seven. Um, that Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, uh, you know, really brings it up. Um, you know, the Raw, the Raw Championship scramble was a little bit boring to me. Um, like with all like the big guys in there, um, and then you just have like the odd, odd one out, like Rey Mysterio. You know, it's not like anything gets taken away from his performance. So it's like, man, like there's like way too many like big mm-hmm. big guys here and uh there he is but uh jericho just surprising him at the end really like was the shock value too but uh, all in all really good uh pay-per-view here all right that'll do it scott will be back in two weeks with no mercy 2008 so we'll see if they can continue the momentum uh here throughout this year we've really been digging it we'll have a returning guest so looking forward to that Gruny, want to thank you hopefully you enjoyed your maiden vintage vault voyage yes i did it was very very fun Okay. Well, good to have you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Check out everything. Like we mentioned, all of our podcast networks. Again, we continue to appreciate your long-term support, Scott, as we uh, enter what's going to be our 
13th year? Is that where we're headed on right year. now? Insane. Yeah, 13th year. It's too many. Yeah. Too many. Um, anyway, <laughs> everyone take care. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the holiday season, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs> 13 years. It's a long time. Too long.